Good morning. I want to welcome you today. I'm so glad that you're here on this 4th of July weekend. And uh, welcome as we've come to worship the Lord together. And uh, I thank you for being here this morning. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Philippians, uh, chapter number 4. So if you have your Bible, will you find uh, with me Philippians chapter 4? This is one of the favorite uh, books of the uh, New Testament books by many. Uh, it's uh, written by the pen of the Apostle Paul. He is writing to the churches, to the church in Macedonia, uh, specifically the church at Philippi, and he's writing uh, from Rome. He uh, Paul has a love relationship with his church. Paul. <clears throat> was uh, involved and the Lord used him to help establish this church and plant it. It was the first church planted in a missionary uh, as, they, uh, as missionaries as they came over from Asia Minor into Europe. Remember they heard the Macedonian call, the call, come over and help us. And so they make their way to Macedonia, to Philippi. And there the church is planted by the Apostle Paul. It's been a loving relationship ever since the inception of that church. Paul is now writing, many years later, he is in Rome. Paul is a uh, prisoner there in Rome. And this, uh, the, the occasion of the letter is that Paul has received a gift from uh, the church at Philippi at the hands of one of their church members, Epaphroditus. This blessed Paul incredibly, and he's writing them back saying, thank you for your love. And he says, I think of you often. I thank God of every remembrance of you. And I know what God's doing in you. He's going to continue to fulfill. He, he just writes a word of encouragement and love. And, and there's a familial relationship that's just laced throughout this scripture. Epaphroditus has given him an update about the church, and how it's doing. And so he does write them some encouragement and instruction and exhorts them as Paul is wont to do. But it's just a great letter. This has been preserved by the Holy Spirit. It's for our instruction, great truths that are found here. And so we're moving toward the end of this wonderful book. We're in chapter number 4 today, verse number 10. We've been here for several weeks. Now in the text that we're going to look at today, you'll find a couple of verses that are often quoted and uh, they're quoted as promises to hold on to. I think they're often misquoted and misapplied. But you'll find them like in verse number 13 and verse number 19. I think it's better not to just lift those verses out of context and claim them. But instead understand the promises that are found there in the context of the scripture. So if you look with me to chapter number 4 beginning with verse number 10. Listen to what Paul has to say. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having both abundance and suffering need. I can 
do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. I have, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now to God our Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul is so grateful and thankful for the gift that the church in Philippi has sent to him in Rome. And what a blessing it's helped him. This passage of scripture begins with the idea of joy and laced throughout this great letter is the idea of joy and rejoicing in the Lord and, and the fullness of joy that God provides for us. And uh, he begins that very way. He, he's, he's reminding them of the strength that God provides, the supply that God provides, and the relationship in Christ that, that our needs are met in him. He's thanking them for their wonderful gift that they have sent him. But he knows beyond that that God is with them. God strengthens them. And God supplies our needs. So if you look with me to this passage of Scripture, it says, first of all, in verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul is filled with rejoicing in his life. And that joy just overflows, even though he's in Rome, hundreds of miles from this church, even though he's locked in a prison cell, he, he is rejoicing, and he's rejoicing greatly, abundantly. It, he's just, it's just filled with joy. He's emphatic. I am filled with the joy because of my union with the Lord. The Lord is with me. And you know, the Lord is our strength, isn't he? The Lord is our strength, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I'm discouraged, when I get down, you ever have that? I do. When I'm in that, when I begin to let my mouth be filled with praise, my heart turn to God in thanksgiving and gratitude and trust, then strength begins to well up in my very being. In his presence, the Bible says, there is fullness of joy. When you abide in him and worship him, and you're grateful to him for all that he's done for you, it fills you with joy. But joy can be stolen. One of the killjoys in life is when Pastor Tim, or maybe you, when all of us, any of us, we start to focus on ourselves, about my life, what's happened to me, what's going on with me, about my comfort, about my honor, about my failures, about my successes, about my praise, about my circumstances. Or I get my eyes on other people and what they're doing, how they're living. But joy is found in Jesus Christ above all. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord 
greatly, emphatically, abundantly. He's saying, in effect, how great is the joy that I have in the Lord, in my union with the Lord, because he's the source of my life and my joy. Listen, my friends, if you don't get anything else, get this. We can rejoice greatly because we are in the Lord. The Lord is the one who made us. The Lord is the one who created us. The Lord is the one who drew us to himself and loves us with an everlasting love. The Lord is the one that made us a child of his. We are sons. We are children of God. And the Lord has claimed us as his possession. He values you. He rescued us from the scrap heap of sin. And, and he owns us and restores us. And he's our shepherd. And he guides us. And the Lord lives in us. And the Lord makes intercession for us. And the Lord loves you. And the Lord loves me. How awesome a thought. Oh, what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And such we are, the Bible says. Amen. So Paul is overflowing with joy in the Lord. And then he, he says, in the context of these great promises, these great truths, he says, your concern and your care for me has been such a testimony and such a blessing. I want to thank you. First of all, he's, it's a word of thanks. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for being concerned about me. And thank you for the gift that you have sent to me. And that gift and that concern, I know, is, has encouraged me greatly. Not only that, it's an example to others. Not only that, it's an act of worship. And so we kind of want to just walk through that, looks into what he says. He says, in verse number 10, he says, you have last revived your concern for me. Not that they quit caring for him. He says, indeed, you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity, verse number 10. He says, but your, flower, your love for me has flowered again and blossomed again, and you've taken this opportunity to bless me and sent this gift by Epaphroditus, and my life is wonderfully blessed. You've cared for me. You've been thinking about me. You've prayed for me. I think of you often. You, I always remember you, you in my prayers. I know that the work that God has begun in you, he'll bring it to completion. I know that. I love you, church, and I know that you love me. Thank you for your wonderful gift. Your sacrificial giving has brought a blessing into my life. The thing that we understand is this, that concern motivates your giving. When you care about something, you care about someone, you give to them. When you care about a ministry, then money and ministry flows toward that thing that you care about, doesn't it? It's just natural. So if you care about missions, money flows to missions. If you care for your local church, you pray and support and give your local church. That's the way God's love is for us. He cares about us, and so he so wonderfully loved us. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What great love God has shown for us. The Bible says God demonstrated his own love, his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has shown his love for us. And why did he love us? Because he values us. 
You're precious to him. And he loves you. And the church at Philippi considered Paul precious to him, to them. And they have shown their love that motivated their giving. Giving results in encouragement into our life. Listen to how Paul sounds. You just hear the encouragement in his voice. In chapter 4, verse number 14, he says, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction, my trouble, my imprisonment. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. He said, you've taken care of me. You've supported me in your prayers. You've supported me in my trials. You're not ashamed of me in my imprisonment. Not only that, he says, verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. You remember when in Acts chapter 16, the establishment of the church in Philippi, how that God used him powerfully, how he found Lydia and the women in a place of prayer outside of the city. There was no synagogue in the, in the city. And so he found these women that were seeking the Lord. And, and remember how they impressed on him their hospitality, and he joins with them. Then remember how the slave girl, how she's set free, and it causes some commotion. And then remember how he ends up in jail, and the Philippian jailer and his whole family, they come to Christ and are saved. And, and yet tension is building over the weeks, and many are coming to know Christ. But the church loved him. They send him off and said, you need to kind of get out of Dodge and go to the next place. And God used him to establish the church. Even then, they went to Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas leave. They leave Dr. Luke there. And they go on and find them way, themselves hours away to Thessalonica. And there they're ministering in Thessalonica. They're preaching the gospel in the synagogues. They're there three uh, different uh, Sabbaths in a row. Many Jews come to know Christ. An abundant number of Gentiles are being saved. Leading women in the city are being saved. And yet some of the Jewish leaders become mad and angry and jealous. They go to the marketplace. They stir up a mob against Paul and Silas. And they're threatening their very lives. And there's a near riot that breaks out. And so it's in the context of all of this that Luke comes with others. And he says, we've been praying for you at Philippi. And the church at Philippi has been praying for you. And Paul, here's a gift from them. And they let you, once you know, we love you and we're praying for you. You can just say, Paul just says, more than one time, even in Thessalonica, you loved us and you ministered to us and you gave wonderfully to us. And I'm amply supplied. I have an abundance. Thank you. You have blessed me. Giving is not only an encouragement, but when you give like that, it is an act of worship to God. Amen. It is. Notice in verse number 18, it says, uh, he says, your giving, I'm going to look at it together. He says, your giving, he says, is, uh, that you have sent is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, the word that he uses fragrant aroma is used in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament and it, it's the idea of the burnt offering. And he said, the gift that you've sent me is like the Old, Test Old Testament burnt offering. When they would kill the bull, the bull and it's on the altar and the 
fire from the altar is consuming the meat of that animal. Its, its smoke is ascending to God in the Old Testament. And that was well-pleasing unto God and a fragrant aroma because it was an act of obedience and worship and contrition and commitment to God as, as their God, as the leader of, of Israel. And so he says it was an act of worship. Your giving is like an Old Testament beautiful sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. Can I say something? Listen. When you give your offering, listen close, when you give your offering, you're not just giving to a church. You're not just giving to a ministry. You're not just giving to a missionary. You're giving your gift to God. And it is an offering unto him. And it's pleasing unto him. When I was a boy, I, uh, went, we went to church all the time. And, uh, of course, my dad was a school teacher and my dad was a pastor and so we were always in church. And when I was a little boy, we used to take our offering. Anybody remember this? We used to take our offering envelopes to church. And then in the offering envelope, you'd have these boxes you'd check off. Did you bring your Bible? Did you read your Bible this week? Did you uh, bring your offering? And so my parents always made sure that us kids always had an offering envelope. And we didn't have any money, so they would give us something. It would be a quarter whatever dimes or whatever it was but it would be a little bit of change and we would go to church with our offering to turn in but it was really my parents money they gave it to us to give an offering but later as a boy i began to make a little bit of money on my own and so i had uh, i mowed yards i went to the western auto bought a lawnmower and uh, began to uh, mow grass i'd push my little lawnmower around town and mow the yard of some mow the yards of elderly people, particularly elderly um, uh, women, and they would uh, pay me for mowing the grass. Anybody ever make money mowing grass when you're a kid? And so I mowed grass, and uh, then I was counting my money, you know. Boy, I was in high dollars there, and so I was. But when it became Saturday night, I had the opportunity to give my, prepare my offering envelope. And now it was not my parents giving me money, but it was me. And I had the opportunity to take, and I, 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 I wanted to give an offering. And so I'd figure out 10% of what I'd made, and I put it in my little offering. And when I went to church to give my offering, I remember as a boy the joy I felt that I gave my offering. And now I wasn't giving something my parents gave me. I was giving my offering, and I was giving it to the Lord. And it was that act of worship on my part. That's something I learned to do all of my life, is to honor him in my giving and give unto the Lord. It also provides an example to other people. And this is what giving does. It, it not only it blesses others, encourages others, an act of worship, but Paul said your giving has been an example to others. Now, if you find in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and as he's writing to them, He's trying to encourage them in their faithfulness in giving. And Paul uses as an example the church in Macedonia at Philippi. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, beginning with verse number 1. If 
you have your Bible, look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches in Macedonia. That's Philippi. And in great ordeal of affliction, in their difficulties, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would complete in you this gracious work as well. He said, you know what? In the middle of their affliction they gave. In the middle of their poverty they gave. Nobody compelled them. Nobody guilted them into it. They wanted to give. They begged us for the opportunity to give because they first gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave it to us. He said they were struggling. They were going through real hard times. But here's these people. In the midst of their hardship, they were giving faithfully. Listen, listen to me, friends. It's not the wealthiest people that are generally the most generous givers. It's often some of the poorest people. And it's not the amount of the gift that you give, but it's your heart and your relationship with God. Amen? Amen. I've said people say to me these things before. You know what? <clears throat> You know, I just can't give right now, but one of these days I'm going to give. When, I, when my business takes off, then I'm going to give. Or when the kids leave college, then I'm going to give. When I get my debts paid off, then I'm going to give. I even had somebody say to me one time, when I hit the lottery, Pastor, I'm going to give. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because if you don't learn to give in your poverty, you won't give when you get wealthy. Because that's where we learn obedience. When we were in seminary, we had nothing. We were so poor. Christy and I just married. We, uh, we moved to Fort Worth, Texas. She was expecting a baby. Uh, we didn't have a job. We rented a house. This is before online. We rented a house uh, sight unseen over the telephone. We a little four-room house on the west side of Fort Worth. We had nothing. And uh, the only thing we had was a car payment and a baby on the way. And Christy got a job at a little daycare, and it, didn't pay, it paid next to nothing, really. I got a job working at a, uh, a uh, uh, delivery service, a, a trucking company. And so uh, I'd go in early in the morning and load trucks and unload trucks and docks and then I drove a little route and delivered packages and we come back in about noon and try to clean up a little bit and take off and go to school. Went to seminary full time and then study all night and no money. We we're so poor. You know, the old saying, poor as Job's turkey. turkey. I don't know what that means, but uh, that means pretty poor. And then we, uh, my grandfather used to say, they're so poor, they don't have a pot to pee in. Well, I don't know what that means either, but anyway, that's pretty poor. And so we were that kind of poor. We had nothing. 
And yet, even in that poverty, we gave and we trusted God. And I'm here to give a testimony to you that God has taken care of us every step of the way. Amen. Your giving brings a benefit into your life. He says in verse number 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but the, for the fruit that goes into your account, the profit that increases to you. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing in your lap. And so God says, I, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6, Paul, again, reminding the church uh, at Corinth, he says, now to he who sows sparingly, he will reap sparingly. But the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always having all sufficiency in everything may have an abundance for every good need. It's in it's in the context of your faithful giving that God supplies your needs. He says, I can do all things through Christ, and he strengthens me. So the first point is about their concern, your concern, your care for me, and your gift, and how you trusted God with it, and the blessing it brought to my life, the encouragement to others, the example to others, the way that it was a sacrifice unto God, thank you for your faithfulness. But he said, I want you to know not that I seek the gift. Verse number 11, he says, it's not all about the gift. I don't speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know what it's like to be laid low. And he says, I know how to live with prosperity. He says, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret, being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, this is my contentment. I have learned the lesson of contentment. Listen, my friends, where do you learn the lesson of contentment? A le le this is a lesson learned. And you learn it in trusting God in the good times, but especially in the lean times. And when you trust him, you learn about contentment. He says, I've learned it in the classroom of difficulties. That's where I've learned contentment. Not in faux hardships, but real hardships. In real gut-wrenching, difficult kind of hardships that you wonder how you're going to make it and how you're going to live, and it's there God meets you. Sometimes we think a hardship is that I've got to cut back on some of the things I like to do. A hardship is, is you, you, turn, you quit watching cable TV. That's not a hardship. Notice Paul, he describes hardships. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, you want to know about the kind of hardships Paul's talking about? He says, I've learned the secret. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, listen to how Paul describes his life. Verse number 11, 
to this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, and are homeless. Have you been homeless? Homeless. We toil working with our hands. We're reviled. When we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. We're slandered and try to conciliate. We've become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things until now. Do you know that kind of hardship? Paul said, that's, you want to know about my life and the hardships of it? Second Corinthians, he's not bragging about himself. He's talking about how God met him there. He's talking about, is he's helping you understand the context of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Second Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors in far more imprisonment, beaten times without number. How many times have you been beaten for the gospel? Times without number. I can't remember how many times he says. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. He said, Jewish people have, have beaten me with 39 lashes of the whip multiple times, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's where they would take cane rods and beat his back until welts would burst open on his back. He says, I've been beaten that way. Once I was stoned, left for dead, throwing rocks at him until he knocked him out. Three times I was shipwrecked. You ever been shipwrecked? Shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night floating in the deep, just hanging on to a board. I have been on infrequent journeys in danger, in danger in rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And on top of that, the burden I feel for all the churches. This is real hardship. But in the hardship, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because my strength comes from the Lord. My relationship is with the Lord. And I've learned to be content because even when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. He meets us, and we can find contentment when our faith is in the Lord. Amen? Amen. So that's the great truth of this promise that is here. Now finally, he moves to our confidence, and the confidence that Paul has is the confidence that we share. That his strength, we can do all things through Christ who, strength, uh, who strengthens us. But not only that, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This is the great confidence that we have. Christ's strength and God's supply. Amen. First of all, Christ strengthens me. 
I can do all things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is often cherry-picked out of context and misapplied in our lives. It becomes a bumper sticker. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's pasted in the locker room for sports teams. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in the weight room where guys are working uh, on the weights. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not what this verse is about. You can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Out of context like that, you know. I don't know how to fly an airplane. I'm not going to go out to the airport and say, I would like to fly this airport airplane. I don't have to take any classes because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, it's dumb. I'm not the best golfer in the world. My golf ball has a way of finding the woods, the weeds, the sand, or the water. One day I was digging my golf ball out of uh, a pond and in the water, and I found my golf ball, and I saw a couple others there, and I was retrieving it. And I pulled one out and put it on the ground, and it had a stamp on the side, and I looked at it, and it was Philippians 4.19. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I kind of smiled. I pulled another ball out, and it was the same ball, the same verse on another ball. So one old dude, he, he couldn't get over the water with Christ who strengthens him, quoting that verse. That's because that's not what that verse means. That means... When I'm walking with Jesus and I'm committed to him and I'm committed to his vision, I'm committed to his mission, I want you to know all hell can break loose against me and I can suffer hardship and I can be without and I can live homeless and I can be in danger. But I'm telling you, God comes alongside me and he strengthens me. Amen. But he says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. There's no shortage in God's supply. And when you trust him and you're faithful to him, he says, I'll supply your every need. That's exactly right. And God will take care of you and he'll supply you, not according to your ability, but according to his riches, which are in Christ Jesus. God can supply your deepest need. He not only meets, of course, material needs, but way more than that, the spiritual needs of your life, my God can meet and supply. In the Old Testament, there's a great story. It's a story in the book of Daniel, and it's about these three Hebrew boys. You remember the story, don't you? They're taken into captivity, and King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And... Um, They've set up an idol, and everybody has to bow the knee and worship this idol. Otherwise, they're going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And so when the, the command is given and the sound of the trumpet, they, they refuse to bow. They're not going to bend. They're not going to give in. They're going to trust and obey God. They're hauled before the king and said, these three Hebrew leaders, these young men, probably just teenage boys or very young men. They said, you need, he says, you've got to bow. And if you don't bow, then you're going to be thrown into the furnace. And this is what they said. 
If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. But then they added these words. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. You know what they said? Our God is able to take care of us. And he will take care of us. And he will supply all that we need. And even if God doesn't work the way we think, he'll save us through the fire no matter what. Because we trust him. Well, you know the story. They did not bow. And the king said, throw them in the furnace. And they heated the furnace up so super hot that when the guys carried them to the furnace to throw them in, the guys carrying them died from the heat. And they threw those three Hebrew boys in their Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they threw them in the fire furnace. And the king and the authorities looked and said, didn't we just throw three men in the fire? And instead of being consumed, they were walking around in the furnace. And he says, I see four, not three. And one looks like. The Son of God. <laughs> they called, come on out. And they came out of that fire. And not a hair was singed. Their clothes were intact. The Bible says their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And God took care of them. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. In Christ Jesus, he strengthens you, upholds you, and he supplies you. That's our confidence as we live for him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the great truths of your word. Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, I pray that today they might turn from sin and trust him. If there's others who've not been faithfully following, I pray that today they would come back home to you. Oh, Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Your Holy Spirit is speaking. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.